You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 224, Iron Maiden, hosted by Dan Terry. Power Slave's way better, okay? And Joseph Wren. All right, let's talk about the um, music now. Let's talk about the music, okay? <laughs> yeah, let's just let's get, get that shit off screen right now. Uh, Presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if you only have rockets when going back to Saturn X... Then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe. That is Dan. Here's the thing. Yes, I may only have rockets, so I better be quick or be dead. (laughs) What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Discography Discussion. My name is Dan, and with me is Discuss Metal Joe. We are talking about Iron Maiden, dude. Are you ready? I'm ready, man. This is this is one of the most requested episodes for us to do. I mean, I remember like we released episode one, Metallica, and everybody's like, yo, where's the Iron Maiden episode? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's definitely coming. It's coming just like the Norma Jean episode's coming. <laughs> just stick with us for about four years and 200 episodes. And uh, we will be more than happy uh, to talk to everybody's favorite English metal band, Iron Maiden. I don't know if they're my favorite because I, I kind of liked Diamond Head. I don't know if that I don't know if that came through very well on the actual uh, on the actual episode we did on Diamond Head. But I actually really, really enjoyed Diamond Head. They, they had a little bit more of that thrash uh, in their in their new wave of British heavy metal sound. Whereas Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden is there's a reason that they're the torchbearer of this style and continue to sound consistent to this very day. That reason is Bruce Dickinson's vocals. No, I'm kidding. That's actually the first change you're going to find when listening to this band. But once they hit that stride, that number of the beast, that run to the hills, we do not stray. Judas Priest, they took some excursions along the way, and then we came back to firepower. So we're sticking with that metal sound eventually, but we're still going out and trying some things differently. Iron Maiden does not do that. Iron Maiden is one of the most consistent metal bands you will ever listen to. And depending on who you are, that is either the best thing, or if you have to sit down and listen to all these albums in one week like we did, it is not the best thing. <laughs> well, I will say they they did take a couple of little excursions, little ones, like little little tiny ones. Tiny, you know, not like like really tiny. Okay, uh, but not anything that we're gonna complain about for too long. Uh, a couple of missteps <laughs> along the way, but I mean, when you've been around as long as Iron Maiden has, I mean, my goodness, uh, they're still putting records out. And they're still putting out records that are of the same quality of what they had been, what they had put out uh, previously. And so, from being from like 1975, I mean, you're looking how, how old is this band? My God! So they would have been, they would have been what 25, 25 years as a band in 2000 plus uh, 21 years. So we're at, let me do my math here. So we're at 46 years of Iron Maiden, guys. That's older than I am. So yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be able to forgive them for a couple of little things along the road. Lord knows I've made more mistakes in my life than this band has made in their career. Well, before Dan elaborates on that story, I'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything discography discussion at discussmetal.com. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Twitch.tv forward slash DiscussMetalDan for all your game streaming needs. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. 
Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion Podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening. And now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. Well, we do enjoy our five-star reviews here on Discography Discussion. And one of the reasons we like them is because they make me personally feel good. But I I realize that you can't leave a five-star review on everything. You can on Apple Podcasts, so absolutely please do that. Uh, If not, uh, you can always leave the video that you're watching, potentially, a thumbs up. Uh, or a thumbs down. I don't really care. It's all interaction, uh, you know, or comment, or you can also rate us on Facebook. Basically, if you like the podcast, uh, there's a lot of different avenues that you can take. And uh, I'll tell you what all those avenues are at the end of the episode. Do you want to take some time to shout out our beloved patrons, Dan? Oh, I would love to take the time. I, I would love to take all the time because these guys are awesome. And I love I love getting to hang out with uh, with a good majority of them. Uh, during our Patreon hangouts that we do every month. So, you know, that's a perk. Check that out. But uh, another perk is a shout-out, so consider yourselves shouted out. Following Jeremy Hall, Kyle Driver, Team... I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna do my best on this one. Uh, <laughs> Timu Reintiao. Is that an O? Is that last one an O? Just keep going, dude. Okay. Dangerous Dave, Ryan Rowe, Richard Renz, Christopher and Rebecca Sherling, Big T, Big T, <laughs> Josiah Heiberg, Luke Robinson, Brandon Miranda, Ken Zapla, Tantalized Fungians, best name ever. I know, right? Jeremy Prince, Josh Moser, David Brown, Samuel Woodward, Brian Dean, the best bass player on earth. Damn right. Josh Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. His name is actually my name too. <laughs> Lance Allegood. The King of Metal. Alexander, Patrick Asplund, and Jeffrey De Los Santos. The actual Mac. You guys are absolutely the best. Uh, just you guys have contributed to this podcast in ways that I don't even think you realize. You know, I mean, I remember one time when Joe kind of looked at me and he's like, dude, my computer is kind of like dead. It, it needs to go out to pasture. I, we, we need we need new stuff. And our Patreon subscribers were like, you guys need some new stuff? Here you go. Here you go. Here's some new stuff. We got, we, you know, we, when my microphone breaks because I get really angry because Megadeth put out Risk and I smash my microphone against the against the table, you guys are there for that. You know, it's going to happen. We're, we're going to get back there. <laughs> we're going to have to do Megadeth Revisited one day, but not but not necessarily. Not since Dave Ellison's uh, gone. That, that was rough. Uh, but, you know, we can talk about that during the Hangout. Make sure to bring that up during the Hangout. But thank you guys so much for contributing to the podcast every single month. Uh, you guys help us out more than you know. Um, you keep us from going bankrupt and trying to keep this thing going. So we really appreciate you. And one of my favorite segments of the podcast, reading comments. And I've got a book here for you guys. This is in reference to episode 116, which I'm going to just say at the beginning. I don't remember anything I said on episode 116 as that was over 100 episodes ago. But I'm about to read a book about what everybody wants to talk about as far as spine shank goes. This comes from Megaforce Omar. Megaforce Omar says, The thing that got me mad was that Spineshank's fourth album, Anger, Denial, Acceptance, was not promoted as it should have been back then with Century Media, hence why their last tour did not do well. Well, that sucks. To this day, that album is a hauntingly is a haunting album that gives me the chills when it's cranked up. It's that damn good. The tribute song, While My Guitar Gently Sleeps, isn't it While My Guitar Gently Weeps? That's the George Harrison song. 
but okay. the spine shank song is while my guitar gently sleeps it's a kind of tribute to that song uh, okay from strictly diesel rules spine shank is still loved to this day Last year was the 20th anniversary for uh, THOC Meet Meet podcast. Did a special, um, uh, sorry, <laughs> did a did a special anniversary for that album, and had Johnny, Tommy, and and Garth and interviewed them. Possibly there will be a return. Well, that'd be super cool. People in the new metal Facebook groups want Spine Shank back. Heck, if I win a million dollars, I'd ask the band to do a special show for the fans and pay Spine Shank for what they deserve. They're one of my favorites. Well, that's awesome, man. Like, and I love that because I, I did find Spine Shank to be very enjoyable overall. I remember that. I remember the records. And I can tell you that they were definitely underrated. And I think maybe um, they kind of remind me of another band we talked about called Death Angel. Death Angel was a band that was also extremely solid that just maybe came to the party a little too late. And I kind of feel that way about Spine Shank that they didn't, they were playing a style that I guess had kind of fallen out of popularity. And so they ended up just kind of getting thrown to the wayside, which, un which unfortunately happened to a lot of bands during that time. Absolutely. Over on Facebook, uh, we got a comment from Stuart Long. Uh, he says, hey, mate. Uh, hey, uh, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. Uh, I noticed no discography of While She Sleeps, a British metalcore band. They have five or six albums out or are last night an American metalcore band. They have four albums and a couple of cover albums, too. Uh, to which I responded, I will definitely check them out and we will add them to our ever-growing list of bands to talk about. And uh, guys, I, I, I gotta I gotta make a confession on this episode. Uh, you know, I went I went and messed up uh, on a recent episode. I I just I don't even know what to say. I'm I'm I'm, I'm ashamed of myself. <laughs> You'll get through <laughs> so it, dude. I, I have to I have to correct something something that I said. Um, so the other day I got a I got a DM from uh, Hunter Williams in response to our. Skindred episode. He goes, hello, you guys are awesome. But I started sweating. Uh, I was just listening to the Skindred episode and you got my name wrong. I wrote the Lincoln Park comment, not Brett Duncan's. I'm not mad or anything. I just actually laughed out loud, but just thought I'd let you guys know. Otherwise, amazing episode by you guys and love the podcast. Even if you guys do hate on Chevelle for taking Deftones and Tool riffs and sounds to making their own. Uh, all I have to say is that John said that, not me, and he's not here to defend himself, so uh, anything goes. <laughs> We're going to talk about Chevelle at some point, dude. I keep mentioning this power trio thing that I'm a big fan of. When you have three guys, a drummer, a guitarist, and a bass player, and they can make a giant sound like Chevelle does live, I'm there. I don't care how much you rip off Deftones, if you can sound big, you are going to be the center of attention. And that band is exceptionally good live. Dude, I've seen Chevelle live, and I gotta tell you that they are very loud. They were very loud for just three people. Maybe they could afford like the big bucks and they could afford, you know, the big gear and, and all that good stuff, but they were very, very, very loud. And it was an arena, so this kind of gives you, you know, how, how can three guys make so much noise? See any punk band? Okay, all right, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. We, we gotta, we gotta talk about, we gotta talk about the the big old uh, Iron Maiden in the room here. Is it time? So it's definitely Dan, time. Tell me about Iron Maiden. I'm so glad you asked me that, Joe. Iron Maiden is an English heavy metal band. They are from Leighton, East London. And they have been around since 1975. They were formed by their primary songwriter and bass player. That's right. Sometimes the bass player can be the primary songwriter, and it's fine. 
uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Steve Harris, we salute you uh, for this many albums. Uh, my goodness, my friend, you have really stuck with it. Uh, Iron Maiden, I mean, there's not a lot to say that most other music reviewers haven't said. These guys pretty much wrote the book on what heavy metal needed to sound like uh, in the late 70s and early 80s. And um, it's interesting because they don't necessarily start they don't start off sounding like this. They don't start off as, as your traditional um, balls in a vice grip, impossible, impossible to reach vocals and uh, neoclassical guitar solos and things like that. Well, maybe maybe a little bit, but uh, these guys had more or less humble beginnings. And um, it's interesting, you know, with a different vocalist uh, than maybe you're probably used to with uh, Paul Diano. Uh, this band had almost a little bit of a mix of heavy metal and punk, but not in the way that we usually talk about on this show. This is not a thrash band. These guys keep it very by-the-book heavy metal. So let's get into it, shall we? 1980. Iron Maiden. That's right. I guess that's a. I guess that's Eddie on the cover, right? That's that's an early version of Eddie. Yeah, let's talk about Eddie for a second. Okay. Yeah, let's talk about Eddie. We got we got Eddie up on the screen. We need to scrutinize a bit. How many heavy metal bands have a mascot? Not very many. Um, Disturbed has the Disturbed guy, but he's not on every album cover. Iron Maiden has Eddie. If Alice Cooper has the show of characters and costumes and giant puppetry Frankenstein creatures that come walking out and sing with a detuned voice. That's cool. But what does Iron Maiden have? They have Eddie. They have the mascot that ties the journey together, the story, if you will. And Iron Maiden does pioneer that heavy metal sound of mystical and fantasy and science fiction with a little bit of history thrown in once Bruce gets in the band. So for the fans of the band, despite the logo being very consistent throughout the discography, Eddie is the character that kind of ties the fans together. He's like the hype man of the band, right? He is. He's kind of like uh, John Goblicon, you know, from uh, Necro, uh, Necro Goblicon. And, uh, you know, Eddie is... Eddie is largely responsible for why I thought this band was much more extreme musically than they, than they actually are, at least at least to my 2021 ears. Uh, not not as extreme as maybe they could be, because you see this, for, for lack of a better term, Eddie, Eddie is a decomposing corpse, uh, maybe a mummy. He's, he's definitely a mummy and power slave. Uh, but and he, he, they, they kind of adapt. Uh, they kind of adapt him to whatever this, whatever the record's gonna be, and it's always, it's always a lot of fun with this record, especially uh, Iron Maiden, self-titled Iron Maiden, uh, with Eddie on the cover. It's just Eddie standing on a street corner in a T-shirt, just giving us this almost sarcastic snarl look. And I think that the cover is actually very fitting for this record because. It is probably like their most humble. This is before the gigantic stage shows and the pyrotechnics and the gigantic, uh, the gigantic uh, eddies that they would bring out on stage and and all this stuff. Um, this is a heavy metal record that has a little bit of a punk attitude to it. Uh, Paul Diano has a lower register, uh, obviously, than Bruce Dickinson. Um, he's a little bit more fast, a little bit more direct, a little bit more to the point. And uh, I actually really like his vocals on these records because 
I think it gives them a little bit more of that punky edge. And, uh, you know, this record is a classic to a lot of people. It's not my favorite Iron Maiden album. Uh, I like Prowler a lot. I think Prowler really knocks really knocks it out of the park as far as, like, just hitting you with just instantly just, just shred-tastic guitar. Uh, very, very, very audible bass tone, which, you know, back in, back in 1980, um, you actually could hear the bass in metal. I know it was kind of a different time. It was important. Uh, it was important. Um, it was the main groundwork of each song, and so yeah, I really, lo- I really love Prowler. I love Phantom of the Opera, and I like Charlotte the Harlot. I mean, everybody does, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, this record is again, it's not my favorite because, unfortunately, to my modern listening ears, uh, it's a little thin sounding. Um, maybe that's just the way bands sounded back then. Uh, I take a little bit of issue to it though, because like, yes, it is very thin sounding. And it's certainly got the aggression and the punk energy to it, but it's just not all that heavy for being heavy metal. And before anybody decides to drive to my house and slit my throat for me saying that about Iron Maiden's first album, uh, keep in mind that Black Sabbath, self-titled Black Sabbath, was heavier than this, and it came out like a long time before this did. Uh, There were definitely heavier bands than Iron Maiden at the time. So you kind of have to take that and throw it throw any expectations of the band being super heavy out of your out of your mind uh they're not going to pummel you with sick riffs they're going to pummel you with really 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 complicated guitar and bass work this is the era of heavy metal where it was about the atmosphere and the visual of the record and less about the guitar effects and how heavy it was like you said the first black sabbath album is heavier than this These songs were written in the late 70s where you still had the flowery Judas Priest and were getting into the hell-bent for leather Judas Priest. You had classic-sounding Alice Cooper where it was as thin as Schools Out actually is. That doesn't mean it's not heavy, but it's more about the presentation and the visual like fantasy films in the 80s did. It wasn't about how blood and gore it could be it was about the idea and this record succeeds but it's the first album by iron maiden i don't have a lot more to say about it than that this is one of the first cassettes i ever owned because like dan the record cover leads me to believe this is going to be heavier than it actually is to me it's a solid rock record it is very much heavy metal back when heavy metal meant this type of metal song I agree. I agree. And whenever we move on to Killers, you're going to start seeing a little bit of an evolution of that sound. 1981. So Blue Oyster Cult called. They want their intro back. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? 100%. Yeah. Uh, you know, the thing about Killers is that you've got Paul Diano back. You've got you've got Eddie here, and Eddie's hair has grown out now. Um, and Eddie, Eddie's looking pretty upset. He's got a bloody hatchet in his hand. Uh, again, creates a little bit of dissonance for me as far as like, oh my God, like this is going to be heavier than Haunting the Chapel by Slayer, you know? Uh, but it's it's not that. It's it's, it's more like the first album. Uh, Eddie's eyes look almost like bug-like. He looks almost like an insect uh, <laughs> on this one. And, um, you know, this record is more competently performed uh, Murders of the Rue Morgue and Wrathchild are really, really, really good. The Song Killers, uh, Genghis Khan, 
you start seeing the band kind of play around with this idea of like let's be historical let's throw it let's throw in a lot of different things uh that people aren't going to be expecting there's more melodic kind of intros and passages and 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 things like that they're not afraid to talk about the prodigal son and then talk about uh genghis khan and the odds well the ides of march is just like an intro really but uh it's still like they're trying harder they're trying to they're trying to become the Iron Maiden that we're all gonna know and love, uh, but they're just not quite there yet. Uh, Paul Diano's trying to keep up, but it's it's obvious that his voice is more um, maybe more suited to a band that's a little bit more punk in style and not necessarily as epic as what Iron Maiden's trying to do here. A little more Ramones, a little more The Clash, and don't get me wrong, it works. I wasn't alive in 1981. But I believe this was one of the heaviest records you heard at the time. It was right there when heavy metal was becoming what it would be. And in America, that was the transition from heavy metal to thrash. But the punk influences are still there. We haven't been totally overtaken by the British invasion of heavy metal, whatever you want to call that. New album, new wave of British heavy metal. Thanks, Lars. I got you covered. <laughs> I think this record is just as good as the previous. It's a solid heavy metal record. And we're more historical feeling on this one. It's that visual. It's that long drawn out guitar piece that's followed by these intense vocals. I've heard this trick before, but Iron Maiden doesn't get enough credit for it. Diehard fans are the only ones who really talk about Paul Diano's voice. Everybody's all about Bruce Dickinson. And while I'm a fan of Bruce Dickinson, I think this album is the better of the Paul era. It's more complete. And if this band had continued, it would have been fine. I just don't think anybody would have talked about it as much as they do. I think they would have gone heavier uh, with Paul Diano. I think they would have gone a little bit more in a, in a, in a thrash, more extreme sort of direction although i mean when your next record is called the number of the beast and it's got eddie you know as a puppet master controlling the devil himself as the cover uh i can definitely tell you that they they, they went heavier for iron maiden um i think paul diano was great but i also think that he was kind of holding them back as far as that epic sound that they were looking for so what do we do uh paul diano is gone from the band and they replace him with then saxon vocalist bruce dickinson 1982 the number of the beast every band oh. has that record you know the record that everybody talks about the diehard fans and the fans who think they're diehard fans <laughs> for most people i think this is where it starts and stops with iron maiden even though i would argue that it starts at killers for most people and they're just not paying attention I would argue it's Power Slave. We'll get 100%. to that. We'll get to that. All right. All right. How many I, you of know, your... I, only, I only came on here to talk about Power Slave. <laughs> like... How many of your favorite metal bands have that record? The one that has multiple hits that they keep going back to and playing live. When I think of Slayer, when I think of Metallica, when I think of Iron Maiden, here we are. It's Number of the Beast. This is the defining album for, I would argue, 90% of the people. It has Run to the Hills on it. It has the Number of the Beast. What else do I need to say? Bruce Dickinson is blowing everyone away. 
He's doing a bit of a Rob Halford thing in places, but it's not so above and beyond in the falsetto range of insanity. He has a full range voice and he utilizes it. I think that with the beefed up production come certain benefits. Uh, I think the band sounds more epic than they ever have. Uh, you don't get as much of that. Like we almost sound like we're in a garage, you know, playing this like punk heavy metal sort of stuff. This this record is produced brilliantly and has a, a lot of sheen to it. And then you've got Bruce Dickinson, where there almost needs to be an entire team dedicated just to producing his vocals. Um, because he sounds incredible. It, it couldn't be any more night and day difference in vocalist. Um, and even though, like I've said prior, I, I did enjoy Paul Diano's vocals, but I couldn't imagine Paul Diano singing Number of the Beast, right? Uh, or Run to the Hills, you know? Um, this absolutely blew everyone out of the water. And even though I think it is a really, really, really good album, I can't help but make a little bit of an argument that this record became as popular as it did because of controversy. Oh my God, they're satanic. Like, yeah, that's original mom. Oh, this metal band that I like that has scary album artwork is satanic. And she's like, well, the devil's on the cover. And you're like, damn it. Okay, well, um, that's Eddie, mom. That's Eddie. Well, no, but Eddie, Eddie, Eddie's puppeter puppeteering the devil. You know, he's, he's got the, he's got the devil in his puppet string. So like that almost in a certain sense, makes Eddie worse than the devil. Like he's, he's the puppet master. He's controlling it. Um, you know, you take a song that's about Satan. That's about a bad dream that someone had. Right. And even though if you listen to the song and you listen to the lyrics, there's nothing that would indicate that the band are devil worshipers, uh, or that there is anything in this song that would even remotely, uh, lead you to believe that the band was satanic. Um, this is a band that tells stories with their lyrics, and that's just what they did here. And uh, it just happened to end up being the title track. And uh, But I think that really, in a lot of ways, the controversy drove people to Iron Maiden. Uh, and as I'm going to say on every single record, because this band's cover artwork is so good, uh, it does lead me to believe that I'm going to hear a significantly heavier record than I actually end up hearing. But I will tell you this, this is the biggest sounding Iron Maiden record up to this point. And at this point, this is where you make the transition from being a band playing a packed out club to being a band that plays in arena. And they were ready for it. They were ready for that arena. I don't know the number, but the story that has been told is that Bruce Dickinson sang the intro of Number of the Beast dozens of times before he ever got to do the scream. Interesting. And apparently the payoff is why that sounds so fucking good. I don't know how true that is. And I don't care because when everything aligns on a good heavy metal record, it has good musicianship. It has good performances and it has good execution. This is why people play guitar. This is why people play drums. This is why people sing in metal bands. And I don't get enough of it in 2021, but I miss bands just writing records with stories in mind. Like this song doesn't have to mean anything. It just has a premise and we write that song. I miss that and I wish we had more of it. And if Iron Maiden is your thing, you've got plenty of it because it's not going to stop anytime soon, guys. <laughs> you better believe it, man. It's 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 really hard sometimes for me to get in the right, you know, to get my peace of mind when I'm listening to songs about being chased by the devil. Which, you know, to, to bring the Black Sabbath self-titled Black Sabbath, the song Black Sabbath was also a song about being chased by the devil. 
another band that was uh, accused of being Satan worshippers. Or if you listen to the song, uh, that does not seem to be the case. 1983, Peace of Mind. Oh no, they got le- they got Eddie locked up in an insane asylum. <laughs> hey Dan, do you see some uh, padded walls going on there? I do. It seems like it might be a conspiracy, but you know uh, they they've shaved Eddie's hair. They've clearly given him given him a lobotomy, which I think is just downright disrespectful. Um, shaved his hair, also disrespectful. Uh, he's definitely in there because of those people he chopped up on the color cover of Killers. Let's not uh, let let's not you know. Let's not distort the facts here. He definitely killed somebody. Uh, Peace of mind is interesting uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, One reason that I'm going to dedicate solely to uh, Peace of Mind is The Trooper. It's the album that has The Trooper on it. Arguably one of the greatest Iron Maiden songs ever written. Um, The the lead guitar work on this song is just mouthwateringly good. this band, especially early on, was able to craft complex guitar noodling into something that was actually catchy. It's not like, you know, we're it's not like we're in modern day and we got Dream Theater over here being all like, yeah, I know it's not catchy, but like, can you play it? This is one of those like, yeah, I could actually probably learn how to play it, but like their their stuff was complex. They didn't they didn't compromise anything. They were unabashedly metal with their guitar leads and their solo work. And the trooper is an amazing is an amazing example of that. Uh, some other some other songs like Quest for Fire were awesome. Uh, Revelations is awesome, and Iron Maiden's also interesting in that they can put out a uh, they they can put out a six minute song and it'd be fine. You not feel like six minutes has gone by. Now I will admit that they are not going to be able to do that past the two thousands, uh, but we'll get to that when we get to that. What's the difference between heavy metal and thrash or even just metal in general the answer is heavy metal it's a requirement that all of your players have to work together so you get the classic heavy metal sound of multiple guitar harmonies the bass player playing right along with them and now here's bruce over the top of it again blowing everyone away i think the only thing this record is missing is the songs that you know and love like run to the hills and number of the beast yeah but it's got the trooper it does have the trooper (laughs) but what else does it have and that's gonna be the criticism going forward i think we're gonna have less and less staples and more and more songs by iron maiden because up till this point and with the exception of power slave you're welcome Mm-hmm. Iron Maiden just does that heavy metal thing. Every year, this band puts out an album for a very long time. That is a lot. And I cannot figure out how this band was so successful putting out an album every year. Because back in the day, did you sell your records by putting out more or did you go on tour? Hey, hey, this album has Die With Your Boots On yeah, and Flight of Icarus. Okay. Don't discount peace of mind because Power Slave's way better. Okay, uh, it is still it is still a really really good Iron Maiden album and one of the classics in my mind. I know it doesn't get as much publicity as the Number of the Beast, and it's not self titled or Killers because those are the classic Iron Maiden albums, right? Uh, but peace of mind is absolutely a great snapshot of where the band was at that point with their newfound fame. They 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 had exploded at this point. And uh, this, I think this was a really, really good follow-up to Number of the Beast. 
Dan, are you ready? I've been ready this whole time. Screw the other albums. <laughs> like, like, let's just talk about Power Slave. 1984. Do you like lead guitar work? Yes. Let me ask you this. Do you like Gothenburg death metal? Sometimes. Yeah, same. Uh, but I guarantee you every single Gothenburg death metal band that exists eats, sleeps, and craps uh, Power Slave by Iron Maiden. The the dueling guitar melodies that are all over Aces High are incredible. Aces High is one of the greatest album openers I've ever heard in my life. Bruce Dickinson is more energetic than he's ever been. I like that he seamlessly goes from sounding like a classically trained singer to just this madman that's screaming his head off. I mean, it's the 1984 scream, but it's still, you know, it's still screaming music. There's a reason I like it. Uh, and I don't know. I just, I am in love. I am in love with this record. Absolutely. One of the best I've, I've, I've ever heard. Uh, what do you, what are my favorite songs on this record? All of them. Uh, but if I had to pick some specifically, I would go with aces high two minutes to midnight flash of the blade back to the village power slave and rhyme of the ancient mariner. That's right. I just told you that one of my favorite iron maiden songs is 13 minutes long. So just forget everything that you've ever known about me and this show. This is the first time I hear the concisive, repetitive writing style that this band has. Because when Aces High starts off, it almost sounds like Paul Diano could be the inspiration for this song. But then the chorus kicks in and you get that Bruce Dickinson layered over the top Nobody can sing that no matter how hard you try. <laughs> so yeah. now we're in a place where is Iron Maiden just writing songs and going through the paces? Or do they just have this many ideas of how to paint these pictures? And I think this is everything that's been done on the past four albums perfected. No, it's not Run to the Hills or Number of the Beast, but... Nah, everything that goes that. into those songs, everything that makes those songs great, everything that makes the trooper great, even everything that's great on Killers, put it all together. And welcome to Power Slave. This is 1984. It is heavy metal. It is classic enough, but it's not so modern that we thinned it out and made it into a run-of-the-mill thrash album. This is a band that's been around for a bit, and they're not going to step back in quality. No, and they're going to keep waving the heavy metal banner as high as they can. Or maybe it's a British flag when they play the Trooper. Uh, but they, they're going to keep this flag in the air for heavy metal. They don't, they, don't, they don't follow the trends of the day. In 1984, you know, there, there, there's some other bands out there that, you know, are playing super, super fast, intense, punk-influenced heavy metal, similar to how Iron Maiden started. But they were adding a little bit more low end to it. They were they they were getting heavier. They were getting faster. They stopped singing and they kept they started barking the vocals. Uh, and I'm going to tell you that those bands are incredible. And we're going to be talking about another one of them here real soon. Uh, but you know, Iron Maiden kept it strictly heavy metal, and I think this is why they had as much mainstream appeal as they had because they were consistent and they weren't so heavy that they were unpalatable. 
I think anybody can get into Iron Maiden. They're, they're, they're one of the best beginner metal bands that you can get into because they have all of the keys in place. Um, and they're not formulaic. They've got really great stuff. If you're a guitar student, you're going to be trying to play all these albums. It's not until you've mastered every every Iron Maiden album that you're like, you know, now I'm going to try to play Kill Em All or, or, or now I'm going to try to play Show No Mercy, you know? Uh, so in, in that regard, Power Slave is, every, is a guitar player's dream. It is a fantastic record. And um, I, I it, it, it's still to this day my go-to record for Iron Maiden. If I want to listen to Iron Maiden, we're going to jump aces high. Did you just call Iron Maiden a beginner's metal band? 100%. Every single 15-year-old kid that you meet that has made his very first uh, heavy metal vest, you know, maybe it's a jean jacket that he cut the sleeves out of and made a vest out of it. He's got the following patches on his vest. Metallica, Megadeth, Iron Maiden, and Motorhead. You forgot Tool, or was that just the 90s? No, I, I said metal bands, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that clarification. I want but everybody every, to every... hear what Dan just said. Tool is not a metal band. Just because I call them a beginner's metal band doesn't mean that they are that they play bad or basic music. They don't. Uh, but Iron Maiden is largely one of the first bands that people get into whenever they're trying to try out heavy metal for the first time. They also arguably have the most complete bass to their sound, to their music. Yeah, at this point in the discography, I've heard these albums and I'm really enjoying myself. But I'm also starting to notice how many things don't change. That's going to become a challenge going forward. But it's not a problem in the 80s. 1986, somewhere in time. Hey, that's also the year that I was born. In a so world. Is, <laughs> is Eddie going full cyberpunk on this album cover? I'm cool with it. Bet his computer can't run it. You think Eddie doesn't have the computer that can run Cyberpunk? I mean, not 1986. He doesn't. It's he's, Eddie, he's, dude. He's, really? He's on an Apple too. Uh, Ebby, Ebby, Eddie has gone full cybernetics uh, on this cover, and I love it. I love the color scheme. Uh, Somewhere in Time is the first Iron Maiden album that I've had on vinyl, uh, and I actually had the original pressing. I did end up having to sell it because bills absolutely suck. Uh, but I listened to it quite a few times. And uh, so this is one of the first Iron Maiden albums that I really like latched onto. Uh, and I don't necessarily think it's their best. I think, obviously, I think Power Slave is the best. Uh, but I feel like, man, th they're starting to get to a point where it's like, how many hits are they able to have? Like, how many times can they hit the ball and hit a home run? Uh, and they've done it again here because I really wasn't sure about this record. Just looking at the cover artwork, I was like, we're going for this like futuristic dystopian sort of sort of feeling. Um, the song caught somewhere in time. I mean, how many other bands do you know that can start their record with a seven minute song? I can think of quite a few from the 80s, but you're not going to hear that song on the radio. You're not. You're, you're not. Uh, this is not a record for, for hits. So if Power Slave or uh, Number of the Beast are beginner metal albums, this one, it's like you're going to feel a little bit more... Um, appreciative of the finer things in life right uh these songs are longer they're more complex but they're still just as gnarly as as the other songs um i love the intro to caught somewhere in time i love the intro to wasted years uh sea of madness is one of the heavier songs i've heard from the band and uh, i really 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 love that one um i could do without heaven can wait if i'm being honest um, I'm not going to do a track by track, but uh, I think that they end off relatively strong with Alexander the Great. 
And to be honest, I I learned a lot about Alexander the Great from that song. Like, like I I, I know there's the, kind of this uh, kind of this idea that metalheads are uneducated, but uh, Iron Maiden is here to fix that. Right? They're gonna they're gonna teach us about Alexander the Great. Uh, they're gonna teach us about Genghis Khan. You know, they're gonna they're gonna teach us all the things that we need to know uh, to to appreciate uh, literature in general. If you look hard enough through the discography, you can put together a playlist that would probably take care of two or three months worth of social studies at a specific grade level. And here we are, Iron Maiden, giving you that cyber atmosphere. This was after Back to the Future? Yes. It was Back to the Future 1985, I think it was. You should know. I should know. I think I'm gonna go ahead and say it was ninety or no, eighty five, not ninety five. It would have had way worse special effects if it had come out in ninety five. Uh, but yeah, so like this is fun. Obviously, I'm I'm a huge fan of anything involving time travel, and uh, yeah, I mean, Somewhere in Time is absolutely killer. Uh, and it's it's if I could get this record again and put it on my wall and have it behind me for every single video uh, or podcast that I do, I would do that like a hundred percent. Like this is th- this is absolutely probably my favorite. Uh, well, it's my favorite cover artwork is unless 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 Power Slave is. I'm having a lot of trouble. Uh, I like the thing about Power Slave. I hate to to go back to that, but uh, Power Slave. There's also like a DOS game called Power Slave uh, that I liked a lot. It was in the 3D Realms build engine. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean for us just to become FPS podcast here for a second, but uh, Power Slave, Power Slave, aka Exhumed, uh, is one of my favorite games uh, to play on DOS. And that's why I like Power Slave as much as I do. I, I definitely listened to Power Slave while playing Power Slave on my DOS computer. Uh, and I'll probably do that whenever we're done. That's after Joe and I are done blasting through Saturn X. Uh, but, which is ridiculous, right? Because whenever you guys are hearing this, we'll have already done that probably weeks ago. Uh, but absolutely, Somewhere in Time is worth it. If you if you haven't, if you've only heard Number of the Beast and like maybe like Killers or Power Slave or whatever, don't sleep on somewhere in time it's a little bit more complex it's a little bit more cerebral of a record than than what we've gotten up to this point i know for me at this point i'm hearing more of the 80s heavy metal sound coming out because the album opens big you called it a seven minute song i call it riffs and leads and just in case you're still stuck on power slave being our best album uh this is somewhere in time and we are going to keep moving forward because we are iron maiden and there's a reason everybody pays attention to us even though most of them are stuck on songs we wrote three years ago at this point but at the time that wasn't the focus the focus was i have the new album by iron maiden and in 1988 you would get probably the most ridiculous thrash heavy metal sounding album cover of all time or album title of all time seventh son of a seventh son eddie's holding his own i guess it's his heart i don't know what it is he's holding it out of his own body eddie's been reduced to some sort of like god like like creature uh seventh son of a seventh son is an interesting record because it has all of the iron maiden staples um, you've got you've got longer-ish songs. I mean, the title track is nine minutes long, nine and like almost almost ten minutes. Um, Moonchild really starts it off in typical Iron Maiden fashion, uh, and I love it. But then once you get to like, can I play with madness? 
they've gone in almost more of a I don't want to say a pop direction, but it's a little bit more it's a little bit more mainstream. It's a little bit more uh how do I say digestible for the masses. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, like I've said, this whole band kind of kind of has that. But I did start noticing some of the songs being a little bit more sing-songy on Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. It's not a bad thing. I'm not here to tell you that they sold out or anything. Uh, I don't think bands like Iron Maiden really, that that's a thing. I think they got really huge, and, th- and that was just what it was. Um, but I, I, I really, really, really did enjoy this. Uh, I really, really did enjoy this album. I really like Moonchild. Um, I don't know what it's about, but it just always reminds me of that part in the Never Ending Story where they ask the kid to say his mom's name, and he yells Moonchild. Uh, and I know, like, you can't actually hear it or whatever, but he's he's definitely saying Moonchild. So, you know, go back and watch the never-ending story. Tell me I'm wrong. This is one time I have to say it. Just read the book, and then you'd know what he was saying. Because I had no idea for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if I read the book or not. I just, I feel like somebody just told me that that's what he was saying. So here we are. Iron Maiden is getting bigger. I don't mean from a fan perspective or an arena rock perspective. I mean... We're starting to use some symphonic elements in the music. We're introducing that idea, but we're still heavy metal. And I can't say a whole lot more than that. Yes, I love Moonchild, but we're almost at the point with Iron Maiden where it turns into, I think Rush is the best explanation I can give. I am not the kind of person that can sit down and listen to Rush all day, every day. So it's a bit of a detriment for me Why the hell not? to sit down and listen to all the Iron Maiden albums because it starts to run together. It's all good. And that's really what I have to say about this album. It's more solid heavy metal. But there's not a single here that I can really latch on to or a song that I'm going to tell you, you got to hear and play this one live. That might be Moonchild, but in a pool of all of the Iron Maiden songs pick your favorites so here we are i'm so used to bands like running out of material at this point (laughs) you know like let's be honest i mean that that's what happens a lot of the times with these bands uh seventh son of a seventh son incredible record i mean it is it's another hit it's another it's another notch on the belt you know you're not gonna have a bad time with it and i'm sorry if we're gonna kind of start getting into that pattern with this episode of saying that but like I listen to it. I can't criticize it. I mean, the the only criticism that I can really have is like, well, it's not really as heavy as it could possibly be. I mean, there were heavier bands at the time, and you're supposed to be a heavy metal band. And like, I mean, there's a part of me that does think that when I'm listening to Iron Maiden, uh, but it's also super, super tone deaf to the time period that it was out. And so, you know, you can't just expect a band that plays like this to just suddenly like become this like thrash band or, or whatever. Uh, But I do think that it's really interesting where they go from here. Then there was 1990, No Prayer for the Dying. Other than the production, this one's got a little bit of a groove going on. Still sounds like Iron Maiden, though. Yeah, so this one's a little bit interesting. And I actually, I found it really funny that this record was kind of critically panned uh, by, uh, by critics. And I mean, I can kind of get it because like Joe said with the production, the production is a lot more raw, uh, than what we, it's the most raw that they've been since like killers. Right. Uh, and, and I think part of it was because they, they were doing kind of the, I hate to use this as the, I hate to use this as, as an example, but like they were kind of doing the same anger thing where they were like, let's make it raw. 
you know, let's make it more um, in your face. And so they recorded it like in this studio uh, that I think I don't know where I got this from, but I feel like I feel like they recorded it on a farm. Am I wrong about that? I, I can't remember, but uh, apparently they had recorded it. Um, they, they had more or less uh, recorded it, recorded it in, on, on like a in like a farm studio. Was it? It was like on somebody's property. It wasn't like it wasn't like a real like high quality studio. And um, honestly, though, like it's probably been remixed and remastered to death. So like it's it sounds good to me uh, in 2021. Uh, but one of the things that I think is the most interesting about it, this one kind of takes a little bit of a a little bit of a detour lyrically from being like the let's talk about popular literature or let's talk about, you know, uh, all these other things. Uh, and they ended up having songs that were kind of more about like social events. Like one of the one of the songs that really stands out to me is the song Holy Smoke which I think is about like televangelists or more or more. That's right up your alley. Yeah. More accurately, like televangelists, they like got caught with like cocaine and hookers, which I mean, we've all been there, but I think that <laughs> I think that uh, it was interesting hearing Iron Maiden do kind of like a social commentary uh, of the day. I thought that was, I thought that was notable. Uh, I will admit that I don't think that this record is, um, I don't think that this record like stands toe to toe with stuff like Power Slave, but I did I did enjoy some of the songs. Like I enjoyed Holy Smoke, like I said, Fate's Warning, and I really like the Assassins. And then obviously there's the uh, Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter, uh, which is, for lack of a better term, kind of a stupid song. Um, it's a song that's like like it almost sounds like somebody making fun of Iron Maiden. <laughs> I could be wrong. Even your favorite metal band like Judas Priest put out the hair metal sounding album. Iron Maiden didn't do that. Here we are in 1990, and you say this is a little more raw. I say it's a little bit less serious. It sounds like we're skipping over the Motley Crue, Def Leppard sounding album and just trying to do something different in 1990. This was pre-Black Album, and was right around the time where the rock bands were starting to get recognition, specifically Seattle-based bands. So you have this weird middle ground where Iron Maiden could have fallen into someone else's blueprint, and they just kind of did their thing. It sounds like they just sat down and made a record, and there's enough heavy metal still here for me to look at it and say... Somebody told them to lay back a little bit, but nobody gave them the explicit directions like, we need a rock of ages from you guys. If they had done that, I mean, it's Bruce Dickinson. He could have fucking pulled it off. But this might be the most unique sounding album that came out in 1990 from a heavy metal band. I think it was their way of, of kind of changing it up without changing it up. You know, like, how do we, how do we, it's, it's the same struggle that I think every band has where it's like, I want to do this other thing. But I also don't want to, like, piss off everybody that's going to buy this record that's expecting it to be a certain way, you know? And so, but I think that they, I think that they handled it really well. I think that, I think that maybe making the production a little bit less shiny was probably a good move, um, especially for the 90s. You know, everybody wanted to be grittier in the 90s. And, um, you know, there are certain guitar tones for certain bands that, uh, in my opinion, were only possible in the 90s, you know? So... Uh, th there's a little bit of that, uh, but 
I think for the Iron Maiden sound, I don't think that it did a whole lot for them, to be honest. I feel like I feel like they almost should have gone in the other direction, but that's just me as a stranger on the internet a billion years later, uh, <laughs> making, you know, 30-something years later, saying, oh, I think you guys should have done this. But, uh, you know, I, I did enjoy the social commentary aspect of the lyrics. I thought that they they did a really good job of trying to kind of switch it up and trying to redefine a little bit of what they were about. Uh, it's also, as far as I can tell, the first time they've ever said shit on a record. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was kind of fun. Uh, that's something I really wasn't even expecting. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, overall, I think it's a, I think it's a solid record. And um, I don't think that they've they've gone too far into a different direction yet for me to be upset. Now I hear why you like Holy Smoke. It reminds you of the Trooper at the end. Maybe a little bit. I'm I'm kind of predictable. <laughs> 1992. Fear of the dark. You afraid of the dark, Joe? Oh, you think darkness is your ally? Well, so is uh, so is Eddie. Um, Eddie is well. He's like a tree goblin in this one. Uh, he is coming out of a tree to attack you in the middle of the night because you, my friend, are afraid of the dark. If Eddie's in the dark, I'm not saying it's not terrifying, but I do think that's one of the better choices. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you right now. I think that this record is really where the exhaustion started to kick in for me you lasted two uh, albums longer than i did congratulations <laughs> yeah i mean be quick or be dead was cool so i was like all right let's do it you know uh but as the record progresses it really starts to slow down and not in a cool like candle mass sort of way but like uh, more of just like a I don't know. I started feeling like these some of these songs were a little phoned in. And, you know, I like the title track, Fear of the Dark. I think it's okay, but this record just goes on so agonizingly long. I mean, and I know it's only like an hour. It's like it's like three minutes shy of an hour, but I'd heard so much Iron Maiden up to this point, and I was just like, man, I don't know if I can do this. And then I looked at the rest of the discography and I was like, oh God, uh, I'm going to go ahead and stop for tonight and I'm going to pick it up, you know, a different day. Uh, I think Fear of the Dark is fine. I mean, I think that it, it, it does have kind of the, the grittier production value. Uh, it sounds better than the last record, but not like a whole terrible amount better. Uh, but I'm not here to criticize it. I just, by night for a 1992 release, by Iron Maiden, I think it's fine. I think it's true to their vision. Blah blah blah. It's all that, and I think that one of the one of the notable things about this record is it's the last record, for a while at least, uh, to feature Bruce Dickinson on vocals. I feel like I'm channeling Jeff a little bit. I have to hey, spoil a final thought. This is the point in the discography where you start to feel the repetitiveness of the band. This is where you figure out that the band is not for the binge listener. If you want to listen to Iron Maiden, you need to do what you used to do back in the day. Just go pick up an album. Don't buy every one on the shelf unless you get a really sweet deal. Even Dan will tell you a good deal on vinyl. You don't pass it up. The point I'm trying to make is this is the point where you have to take some of it home with you and just take it in for a while. Listen to it two or three times until you get the point. Then go back and buy the rest of the albums. No one at this point was going to the store and buying all the Iron Maiden albums. They were buying the new album because they already have the discography. So it's a detriment to us, not a detriment to you. Don't do what we did today because you'll have 
negative feelings for a band that is arguably not making a single mistake up to this point. We're nine albums in, and we're good. This one, yeah, it slows down a little bit, but it still sounds like Iron Maiden. And at the time, I don't know that Bruce Dickinson is leaving, so it's more solid heavy metal atmosphere. It's more stories, and that is extremely lacking going forward for most bands. I disagree a little bit. I don't think that this record is up to par with what they had released prior. Um, It's a little bit more like the last record, which is totally fine, but... I don't know. I I just think the songs aren't as interesting. I think the band sounds tired on this one. And unfortunately, that's not going to get better for a couple of records. 1995. Yo, you're dealing with the X Factor. Oh, God. Do we have to talk about the X Factor? (laughs) Eddie, what have they done to you, man? I mean, these aren't even these aren't even out. These aren't even Iron Maiden albums, right? Right. Uh, To most people. Eddie's Eddie's on the cover, but they're like killing him. I mean, (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay, so obviously, you know, everybody knows this. I'm not going to get into a history lesson, but uh, Bruce Dickinson left Iron Maiden to focus on his solo career. And so they brought in uh, Blaze Bailey as their new lead singer. Oh, God. Okay, so there's really no nice way for me to say this. This is a slow, boring as hell album. And I know that Steve Harris was like going through some like really personal stuff. And that's why the lyrics are so dark. And here's the thing, man. I've listened to a lot of dark records. I can appreciate dark records. Uh, But as tired as I may have been uh, from Fear of the Dark, uh, I was disappointed to not hear Bruce Dickinson on this album. Um, I think that Blaze Bailey is a good singer, but I don't necessarily think that he's a good singer for Iron Maiden. Does that make sense? I think I think I think Blaze sounds good, but and, and I think a lot of people blame this album and the next one a lot on him. When in reality, I think that this band was just tired and was writing more um, because this record came out in 1995. So it's like almost more in like a 1995, like hard rock style than it is classic Maiden, which makes sense because Blaze Bailey can't sing classic Maiden, although they would take him out on tour and force him to try to sing classic Maiden. And that was apparently a disaster. But uh this record as a as a record as an Iron Maiden record absolutely does not scratch the itch or or hit the spot for me whatsoever. It's too slow, it's too plodding, it's too meandering. It's way too long. No band that's this tired should have this much material. I feel like we've already had this conversation kinda when we talked about Judas Priest. Is Jugulator a bad album? I don't know. Um I have to ask uh I have to ask uh Richie about that. Uh, but no, it's not bad. Uh, I don't think that the Ripper is bad at all. And that's the biggest difference here is that like the Ripper was still good for Judas Priest. There's a certain sense of like, yeah, Rob Halford's always going to be better for Judas Priest. But if I had to go with somebody, I'd go with the Ripper, right? That's not really what we've got going on here with, with, with Blaze and, and Bruce. Uh, Bruce absolutely is the sound of the band and to a lesser extent Paul Paul Diano but Blaze Bailey just didn't sound good in this band and um, it's not entirely his fault because this band just didn't sound good at all during this during this uh, era of the band the first time you listen to this album it's gonna throw you off now that we've gotten through that Blaze Bailey sounds like a hired gun to me 
It sounds like they brought him in to do his job and just did not put as much effort into it as they did previously. And if the 90s heavy metal band that lost their singer story holds true for Iron Maiden, that was a whole lot of frustration and probably some level of, yeah, sure, whatever, guys, it's fine. So I feel bad for the band. I don't remember this being an album that anybody really talked about because even back then when we were talking about Iron Maiden, we were talking about Power Slave. We were talking about the number of the beast. So we weren't living the pain that this band was living in 1995. And I really don't have a lot to say about this album. It's not bad because Blaze Bailey is on it. This really is the low point in the discography for me. It doesn't sound like they put enough effort into it. Yeah, it sounds really crapped out, and that's all I have really have to say about this one. I'm sorry. I, I wish I could say more. I know there's people that love Blaze Bailey, and they're going to think that we're not being fair, and maybe we're not, but I can't deny how I feel, and this just isn't up to snuff. I'm sorry. 1998, Virtual 11. Okay, so uh, we're back. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, we're back here at uh, Discuss Metal, and uh, we're listening to... Uh, Virtual Eleven by Iron Maiden and uh, Blaze Bailey is still in the band, and uh, you know, does the band decide that they're going to return to the uh, classic Iron Maiden sound? Hey Dan, I want to tell you that um, Iron Maiden is kind of doing the classic Iron Maiden thing, but you know, there's just no nice way to say it. Blaze Bailey cannot keep up with the premise that Bruce Dickinson has set. Yeah, this is hard. Uh, They're trying a lot harder on this record. I have to acknowledge that. I think that uh, I think that the the Klansman is a great song, and I think Blaze even sounds good on it. I think that Blaze is a good singer, and I think that they accent his strengths a little bit better on this record than they did on the last. But this is still not classic Iron Maiden, folks, and that's fine. I mean, I, I don't expect anybody to play the same type of music from beginning to end uh, all the time. Don't always. I don't expect everybody just to do the thing that I like. Uh, but you know what? No, that is what I expect bands to do. Uh, it's a double-edged <laughs> sword. It's uh, it's unpleasable, right? Um, when two worlds collide, not as good as uh, worlds when worlds collide by Iron Man by, by uh, Power Man Five Thousand on Iron Man Five Thousand. Uh, Iron Man Five Thousand. That sounds like a great band name. <laughs> let's do it. We'll, we'll copyright it after this episode. Uh, I mean, it's Virtual Eleven's fine. It's okay. It's fine as a metal album. Um, it's not as hard as I think that it should be, uh, for that year. Um, I don't think that, you know, I think 1998, this is starting to get a little old with this like mid nineties, sort of like plotting hard rock sound that is sort of like heavy metal, but not really. Um, a lot of the really cool guitar work and patterns and stuff isn't here. And I think that this band unsuccessfully was trying to be more modern with this record and the last. And uh, I think largely it falls flat on its face. I think this record's fine, but it's not nearly as good as, as their previous material. Sorry, Blaze. I'm not trying to attack him personally. I just It just doesn't sound right. Something feels off. I think Blaze Bailey in Iron Maiden sounds like Meatloaf trying to hang at the lead singer's conference. When Meatloaf is on, it fucking works. When he is not on, it sounds like he's talking too fast and needs to slow down. And that's what Blaze sounds like on this album. And again, I don't blame him. He sounds, again, unfortunately, like a bit of a hired gun. They just give him a little more credit on this album. So if you have to listen to... I'm not going to say have to. If you're completing the discography, 
of Iron Maiden and you're passing on these two albums because they don't have Bruce Dickinson in them, X Factor, I'm going to let you have it, but Virtual Eleven, you need to give it a shot. It's the best Iron Maiden you could have gotten in 1998. And then the year 2000 happened. I mean, it's okay. You don't, you don't have to check out Virtual Eleven. You, you, don't, you don't have to. You can just skip right to this guy right here. Brave New World. So Brave New World was the first Iron Maiden album that I got on CD. Uh, I bought it at a flea market uh, for $2. And I also bought Paramecium's Exhumed of the Earth for also $2. Um, one of which is now worth multiple hundreds of dollars and the other is not. Uh, but I'll let you decide. Bruce Dickinson is back. Yay. We're looking at the cover artwork where we've got we've got Eddie in the clouds. He's looking down over this like utopia and he's going to I don't know what he's going to do. He's going to eat it. I don't, I don't know what he's going to do. It's going to be really bad, though. Um, Eddie's just a guy that does bad things to people. Uh, let me tell you, Brave New World is an absolute joy to listen to. Do I think that it's as good as Power Slave? No, I don't think a lot of records are as good as Power Slave. Uh, do I think that it's as good as um, uh, Fear of the Dark? Yes. So for me, if you're if you're if you're not, you know, counting the X Factor and Virtual Eleven, this is actually a pretty good follow-up uh, to Fear of the Dark. Uh, they go they go back heavy on their fantasy themes. They go into the book uh, Brave New World. They've got Ghost of Navigator, uh, the Mercenary uh, Nomads, one of my favorites, uh, Out of the Silent Planet. Like they're they're referencing old school literature. Um, and I think that the only the only real complaint that I have about this record, I think Bruce sounds awesome. He sounds as good as he ever did. The only issue I have with this record is that, again, this is one of those like, it's the year 2000, guys. You guys going to like start beefing up those guitars or? No. What's going on here? We are Iron Maiden. If you ever needed proof that a band does not need to change their sound to sound modern, we have since proven it. I mean, fair enough. I, I didn't find this album unenjoyable. This is probably the Iron Maiden album I've listened to the most, if I'm being honest. Um, I like the songs. I think the songs flow really well. Um, I don't think that it sounds like they're old material, but you can definitely tell that they're trending in that direction again. I really do love this album cover, and every time I see it, I get flashbacks to the old Filmation cartoons, and if anybody gets this reference, I apologize. But um, Eddie is basically, you know, doing a stampede right now. And if you change the color on this thing, this could be the concept art for a Brave Star movie. They're never going to make that. But if they did, <laughs> I would be there. Yeah, they're probably not going to ever make it. Yeah, uh, but not going to happen. There's many reasons. Don't look up why. Don't look up why. Um, I think that I think the Brave New World did a good enough job of of, of reassuring the Iron Maiden uh, fan base that they were going to go back to being, you know, your band. They're going to go back to being the man's man's uh, heavy metal band, the non-compromising in your face Iron Maiden that they know and love. And even though it's not quite that, I think everybody is willing to allow them to transition back into that. It might take an album or two. It's actually, that's pretty accurate. It's going to take two albums to get to that point again. When did Bruce Dickinson start flying the band everywhere? I know he was studying and getting his pilot's license at some point, but like that's something about the modern Iron Maiden I love to talk about. When this band goes on tour, they just go. They have a plane. 
and Bruce flies it. And I think that's one of the things that started in the mid-2000s. So can you imagine, Dan, as the guy who, out of his own choices and need to be in control, the guy that will always drive the van, even if we try to hire somebody to drive the van, you still drive the van. Imagine if tomorrow we had to go on tour and you just said, yeah, sure, get in the plane. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I don't think that he started uh, piloting Ed Force One. I want to say that was probably like, um, yes, the Iron Maiden plane is called Ed Force One, in case you wanted to know. Damn right. Uh, I want to say that was like somewhere in the 2010s. Might be a year or two off from that. Without have actually done the re- doing the research prior to this, I'm not I'm not 100% sure on that, but it is kind of awesome. Yeah, you guys want us to play over here? Sure, we'll be there in 16 hours. Just make sure that just make sure the check cl- the check clears. 2003, Dance of Death. Okay, so I mean, probably the worst cover artwork for an Iron Maiden album ever. Uh, I guess Eddie's the Grim Reaper there in the middle, and he looks kind of okay. Everybody else looks like they were rendered on a Nintendo 64. Uh, I'm not sure what the deal was with that. I know the band ended up not being happy with it, but uh, I also think that that's largely to do with... I, I read somewhere that they they approved this version even though it wasn't the actual finished version of the artwork and bruce dickinson later described the cover artwork as an embarrassment <laughs> uh and it's pretty bad um i i can't imagine i can't imagine looking that looking at that and being stoked for what i'm about to hear um i just i don't even know man there, there's a lot of weird stuff it looks like it looks like a weird orgy with death i i don't know i'm not sure i, I don't know uh I can't I can't say anything. I'm looking at it in full screen and I'm just like completely lost. All right, let's talk about um, the music now. Let's talk about the music, okay? Yeah, let's just let's get get that shit off screen right now. Uh It's Iron I Maiden, really, guys. Yeah, and I actually really like this one. I liked Rainmaker a lot. It was probably my favorite song off of this record. Uh this one sounds a lot like Brave New World, uh if I'm being honest. Uh but one of the things that I liked about it was that they actually uh they actually did beef up a little bit here. The guitars are a little bit more modern sounding. They're not like they're still Iron Maiden. Like there's the, the, the you're never gonna hear like a on an Iron Maiden album. Uh, but I do appreciate kind of more of a modern guitar recording technique. Um, and I think that was a common complaint that like bands were far heavier back in the day when you go see them live because you were getting the full effect. But it wasn't always being like necessarily recorded that way. Whereas with like more modern recording techniques, you get a little bit more of that 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 chunkier live sound, uh, and I, I really enjoyed that. I loved the Dance of Death song. I thought it was suitably creepy, uh, it being eight minutes. And speaking of that, I'm I'm only a little bit. The only criticism I have with this record, I think I think it's a great Iron Maiden record, despite having a horrible cover. I do think it goes on a little too long, which is unfortunate for me because as we go forward. This is going to be a complaint that I'm going to have more and more often. So Iron Maiden is putting out longer albums that have more songs than they do actual minutes played. We've also gotten to the point where we're not putting out an album every year or every other year, which is what they did for a very long time. It is still fascinating to me that the band put out as much material as they have in the time frame that they did. It was like they were investing in their career. If we write all the music now, then we don't have to write it later. But the trade-off in the mid-2000s is 
we're going to have more songs that we want to put on the album. So that's a bit of a change. Does it ruin the experience or diminish what's going on? Absolutely not. When I'm listening to this album, I'm not hearing my favorite Iron Maiden songs. But again, what I said earlier, if you're taking the journey through the discography and you're buying the album and you're taking it in before you move on to the next one, this one sounds like the next step. And in 2003, it sounded like a modern Iron Maiden because we weren't really focusing on how much low end does it have back then. It was... (laughs) You weren't, buddy. If anybody was, I was. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like the band just moved forward a little bit. And that, to me, is exciting. Yeah, the cover is kind of silly. So what? You have to pick one you're going to hate. You might as well pick the one that's obviously the one you hate. So does I mean, maybe. this one work? Absolutely, it does. I'm here for it. I'm a little... I'm going to say I'm a little overwhelmed at this point there's been so much iron maiden that i'm listening for the songs to talk about because oh here's this thing i never noticed before that doesn't really happen for me when i'm listening to this band i feel like i've heard it all before and i'm just listening to the rest of it again don't do what we did don't sit down and listen to all the iron maiden albums in one week don't do it man (laughs) don't do it uh I think Dance of Death is absolutely as good as Brave New World, but I like Brave New World a little bit better, probably for nostalgic reasons. 2006, a matter of life and death. They said Iron Maiden could become anything, so they became a tank. <laughs> um, I really like this one. I think that the I think that the single Different World was a really, really, really strong uh, single for this record. And um, I really, I I enjoyed this record throughout having kind of a warfare theme. These colors don't run uh, the pilgrim. uh, Like, I don't know. There were, there was a lot of really good stuff here. And uh, I feel like this record is where they've really kind of transitioned back into being iron maiden as we know them. And um, I think it was really, really good. I wish I had more to say about it. Um, I have to admit like Joe, I was starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed at this point because I think we have like what two hours or two records left and there's still like what three to four hours worth of music left to listen to yeah Um, so that was hard that was hard with this one for me i think at this point in the discography yes iron maiden put out more songs i think if i was a diehard fan at this point in the discography i'm 100 percent here for this at this point in the week i started to look at it like the endurance portion of the discography because now it's not about how many albums are left it's how long are these albums and i really can't tell you anything bad about them it's more (laughs) iron maiden guys what do you want me to say go listen to it they got a surprise for you coming up then if you're uh if you're worried about that um are we ready can we get into the final frontier i'm sorry we totally skipped over probably somebody's favorite album uh, but I mean, a matter of life and death is a good Iron Maiden record. It's fine. If you like Iron Maiden, you're going to like this record. And you know, that's just, that's just the way it is, man. I, I didn't hate it. 2010. Shall we return to Cyber Maiden? We'll return to the final frontier. Uh, you know, these dudes were like trying to leave for space, but then like Eddie showed up alien Eddie and, and he, he just, he cracked open all of their, uh, all their helmets. They, they're, they're all dead. They're all dead. Uh, This is probably one of my favorite uh, Iron Maiden album artwork ever. 
I really like this record a lot, actually. Um, for me, this this was like penultimate maiden for the modern day. I mean, I didn't think that I was going to be listening to Iron Maiden like this many years later, but I mean, I'm here for it. Um, guitars are suitably crunchy, but they still have that melodic dual lead work sort of stuff going on here. Uh, I really like this record a lot. Um, it was my favorite of the it was my favorite of the home stretch. Uh, Coming Home was a really, really good song. Starblind was a cool song, and The Talisman were cool songs. Um, I just, again, the same complaint that I've kind of had for some of their some of their material lately is just that it just goes on for a really, really, really long time. And I'm more of a 40-minute get-in-and-get-out kind of guy. And Iron Maiden just doesn't care about that. You know, when, you're out, when your album's an hour and 16 minutes long, it's like, guys, come on. There, there's got to be something, you know. Did, you, did we really need... The, uh, did we really need the man who would be king followed by when the wind blows or when the wild wind blows? Like, yes. Like, that's 20 minutes of music. And it's the last two tracks. When you think that you're finishing, like, that's just not great sequencing. Uh, it's fine, though. This record is totally fine. I enjoyed I enjoyed it quite a bit. I love, I love that the band is still unabashedly Iron Maiden this many years later. But I just wish I had more to say about it. Um, but I, I, I did enjoy it. And like Joe said, this this is a band that you would get a lot more enjoyment out of than we did uh, if you were just buying the records every couple of years as they came out. Iron Maiden continues to do what Iron Maiden does. They set up the scene. The song is about this historical event or it's about this fantasy story. And you're going to be satisfied with that. I love how the records are starting to show signs of now we're writing the stadium production. We're not just writing more songs that are painting these pictures for you, but we're giving you a preview of what you're going to see live when you go to the Iron Maiden show. Now you're going to get an hour, hour and a half of the new stuff. Then we're going to come out and play the hits. The beginning of this album just keeps going. We are in <laughs> rock opera territory of it just keeps going. You're not kidding. And I could complain about it, but it works. It's the right kind of build where they keep changing it enough to get that point across to you. The tension is rising. It's all going to pay off. Unfortunately for Dan, it's going to take about an hour and a half. Oh, God. So <laughs> it's fine. As we have said, it's the next album by Iron Maiden, and I want you to go listen to it, but I want you to pace yourself. Work your way up to it. Don't sit here and try to binge it. And I have a feeling that Dan wants to talk about 2015, The Book of Souls, to date, the last album we have by Iron Maiden. And the longest. It's a double album. Why? because <laughs> it's been five years and uh, you're gonna have to have this one for a long time i mean at least they're busy right like they're busy between records how many bands you wait like four or five years for a record and they give you like 10 songs and it's like 33 minutes long iron maiden will do better than that they'll give you an hour and 33 minutes i'm not gonna be i'm not gonna lie i did not like the book of souls i don't hate it i don't have some sort of like raging passion against it or anything like that but i I just found it to go on for way too long. And yes, like, and let me, let me state my case as carefully as I can here. Yes, there's tons of awesome Iron Maiden-y stuff in here. 
However, in order to get to that, I have to wade through excessively long intros to songs and outros and multiple times of them just singing the chorus over and over and over again. When I could just go back to an earlier Maiden album from the 80s and listen to it and just get all the good Maiden-y stuff that I want out of it. So I think that for the diehard listener, The Book of Souls is a great record. Uh, but for somebody that's not like the biggest fan of the band, um, I do find it to be somewhat disappointing. I think the concept is cool uh, about The Book of Souls and that they did a lot of research on on that topic for this record. I think they, I think they did a really, really good job on it, but I I don't really this is I'm not going to listen to this too much for the same reason I don't listen to a lot of prog band. I'm not saying that this band is prog, but I am saying that like there comes a point where your concept becomes a little a little overwhelming. And with this record especially, I feel like the band just kind of overstayed their welcome a little bit, at least in my eyes. I think for the diehard fan of Iron Maiden, this is what they've been building to. You want this big production. You want this gigantic premise followed by the songs about the Book of Souls. So here we are. The band is 35 years old, according to their releases at this point, and they've done their biggest production yet. If they were going to do it, now would be the time in 2015. I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed listening to this for the first time because in 2015, there were some aspects of metal that were popular that I just did not like. And here's Iron Maiden doing the Iron Maiden thing. I even got some Faith No More vibes in a few places, like building that soundscape and letting the atmosphere just take hold of it. But it's still Iron Maiden, guys. It's heavy metal. It's a production. It is the rock opera that we kind of got hints of on the final frontier. So for the diehards, this is for you. For Dan, he wants his 45-minute albums back, please. Yep, absolutely. Give me my give me my 32-minute dank death metal record. How are we going to top this one, dude? Final thoughts on Iron Maiden. Dan. I think that Iron Maiden is one of the most important heavy metal bands to ever exist. I mean, I think it would be dumb for me to, to not have that opinion. I do sometimes wonder if the band... If the band's marketing sometimes overshadows what the band actually is musically, but I do think that there is plenty to go back to musically. And if you're just getting into metal for the first time, you can't go wrong checking out Iron Maiden and learning how to play all those intricately guitar parts. I think Iron Maiden is one of the most important heavy metal bands of all time, but I don't think you can sit down and listen to just Iron Maiden. For those people that can, more power to you. You're here for the story and the atmosphere and the complete disconnect from reality, where every song is about something that already happened or somebody came up with an idea that maybe this could happen at some point. I think most fans of heavy metal overlook this band as the complete package that they are. People talk about ACDC, that they've been playing the same song now for 50 years. But those players are so tight together that no matter what version of that song they're playing, it works and it gets everybody hyped up. So when Iron Maiden takes the stage, they're going to own that stage and it's not going to be one person. It's going to be the entire band. So for that level of mastery, you should be listening to Iron Maiden. 
but pace yourself. Take it all in. Don't just get through it as quickly as possible and then tell me only one or two albums were good. Very little of this band's discography is skippable. And we just listened to 16 albums. Damn, what's your album of the week? Well, I needed something that was a little bit as opposite of Iron Maiden as I could get. Uh, so I'm going to have to go with uh, Effigy of the Forgotten by Suffocation. What a week it's been. We finished off New Metal May. We jumped straight into Iron Maiden because we wanted to start this summer off with a bang. Absolutely. And when I looked ahead and said, what are we going to be talking about in a few weeks? I was shocked to see that one of the most important, influential bands that are frequently referred to as heavy metal, that are frequently referred to as new metal, is on our schedule. So at the risk of spoiling (laughs) the discography discussion scheduled currently for the very end of June... My album of the week is Evil Empire by Rage Against the Machine. Nice. That's one of those special episodes, too, that you guys, if you're watching on YouTube, you need to uh, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast at DiscussMetal.com because there's no video for that one. That's one that got to be subscribed on your phone or device or whatever it is to hear it. So make sure you're checking that out. Take us out, DFT. If you've ever been listening to or watching this podcast and thought, man, these guys talk about all these great bands, but there's another band that I feel like they are just absolutely missing out on. You can reach out to us in a variety of ways to let us know what band that is. We love getting band suggestions from you guys. You can send us an email at show at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash discography discussion. You can tweet at us at discuss metal and, uh, you can find us on Instagram also at Discuss Metal. If you just absolutely cannot get enough of looking at my face and hearing my voice, I do stream on Twitch two times a week. Uh, Joe sometimes streams right along with me. Uh, a lot of the times we play Doom games or Doom-related games. And uh, you can find us at twitch.tv slash Discuss Metal Dan. And uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can find us on YouTube at Discuss Metal Dan. Make sure to subscribe to the channel. And uh, comment on some videos. Let us know what bands you want to hear us talk about. If you want to get some sweet discography discussion merch, you can head over to our Teespring store. There'll be a link in the show notes for this episode that'll take you to our awesome merch store we have set up there. And uh, if you want to hang out with us and talk to us anytime you want, make sure to join our Discord server. Uh, There'll be a link in the show notes that'll take you to our Discord server. And uh, there are already fans of the show talking there right now no seriously i had to silence them because uh, you'd hear it you'd hear it on the on the video if i I didn't silence them so get in on discord click the link have your guys a great night have yourselves a great night and uh we will see you guys next time on discography discussion and on that note this has been episode 224 of discography discussion thank you for listening you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at discuss metal Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at Patreon.com forward slash DiscussMetal. We have some sweet perks. $1 a month gets you into that exclusive album review feed. 